welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Deacon Jacob, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you, Father Sean. Deacon Jacob was just like, hey, are you going to start us off with a hey, hey, hey? <laughs> I was you like, start us off with a hey, hey, hey? I was like, sure, I'll start us How off many with hey, 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 hey's hey. can we start in the first 30 seconds? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 it's Fat Albert. Um, Father Sean, happy almost Easter for us. Happy Easter to listener land. That's right. This comes out on Easter Thursday. Today is Holy Saturday. A year ago today, but not today because Easter changes every year. But last year, Holy Saturday was the first podcast I ever recorded. And this will be your last. Maybe. Just kidding. Psych. Father <laughs> no, Sean a, is still with us. It's been a great year. You started a little bit before me, I think, didn't you? Yeah, I think I did one or two with Father John a week or two before you. Gotcha. But I can't remember. I'm terrible with dates. I can't remember. I had my mom make up a... Um, she didn't make it up. She put together a list of all the family birthdays, baptism days. Uh, she even got the birthdays and baptism days for my uh, godchildren because mm-hmm. she's a good mom and uh, is helping me stay on top of all those things. I need it. That's good. Mary <laughs> Machado. You know, that's really important, especially to pray for them. I uh, set these reminders in my phone, but I know there's people who probably should be Remind yeah. like I should be well, wishing them happy birthday or Nick, whatever. But Nick and Mary, uh, my friends, they listen to the podcast and they just heard me say that and they're like, and yet you've forgotten George's <laughs> birthday and baptism day for the last. Is five that your years. goddaughter? That's my godson, George. Oh, I thought you said Georgia. George, no George. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry, Nick and Mary and George. Um, yeah, no, I uh, my goddaughter just got confirmed, um, a couple weeks ago. So congrats. Awesome. Did you go? I did not. I was. I can't remember what was going on. Um, Seminary yeah. stuff. Out in Ohio. How's your first triduum as a deacon? It's been uh, pretty casual, pretty low key. Less uh, less stressful than I thought it was going to be. The most stressful thing for me of the whole time was we got up for the passion reading on Good Friday, and I wasn't really thinking about oh the passion reading. Because we've got these booklets for the narrator, the voice, the part of Christ. And that's already set at the ambo for me. So I'm like, oh, great. I don't have to look it over first. So I just opened it up to like page one, which is the Gospel of Matthew <laughs> from Palm Sunday. Right. Because it has year A, year B, and year C, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then the Good Friday is always John. Correct. And I just wasn't thinking. So I'm sitting there looking at the page, <laughs> ready to be the voice. And Deacon starts a reading of the Passion from the Gospel of John. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like panicking because I don't know which page it is, if it's like the next one. It was go. marked it, with sticky notes. Not on mine. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Dorothy does it for everyone. Well, whatever the case may be, <laughs> I like flip through pretty quick. So I'm like, this is, I got to be on, this got to be at the back of the book. So I go to the back of the book. Sure enough, it's John. But I was kind of flustered. So I'm like, scanning through to see if there's any voice parts and luckily the whole first page is just Just the the narrator and the christ part so i'm able to listen and make sure i'm on the right one and then i'm in nobody would have known i don't think except for if they were looking at me like flipping through the book (laughs) and then the funniest one was the first part i think it's an older publication of the book because some of the crowd 
is listed as crowd, but is actually voice, and some mm-hmm. of the voice is listed as voice, but is actually crowd. Um, if that makes sense, it's confusing. So we get to the first my part, mm-hmm. but in my book, it's listed as a crowd, crowd part. Yeah. So I'm pausing there. Which that happened seems, on Palm Sunday yeah, as well. Seems like an eternity. Which I asked my dad. He was there. He's like, "Oh no, we didn't. I didn't notice that." So. Um, I thought I like paused for a long time, and then I just said the line. I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be the people or me, but I'm just going to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. But I heard that happened at the cathedral as well. So, so we have I'm new hymns, and it's probably the same at the cathedral because a lot of these churches just got those new hymnals, the Source and Summit hymnal, um, which if anyone from Source and Summit listens to this, <laughs> uh, just know <laughs> that the passion reading is slightly off. Uh, so is it off for them, or is, do we, did we have it bad on the front side? Um, cause did we it, used to get change? the OCP books, yeah. uh, or did they just decide who does crowd and voice? Is that arbitrary? So this is the first year source and summit has printed those in there. They oh, used to okay. just have the passion reading with no parts, but they got enough feedback to put the parts in. So this is the first year they've had the parts. So my thought would be, it's actually on source and summits and that, uh, made the mistake because our books have been the same since the new translation of, of the scriptures, whenever that came out with the new missile and everything. Um, and we've never had a problem in the past. So like we had no problems or issues last year. We're not complaining. Source and Summit is great. Oh, they're wonderful. The, they're music, the, best the music they're doing. I think um, Bartlett is working on them mm-hmm. and doing some translations and some new hymns and stuff. So they are very good for music. We just found a couple errors on the passion reading. Maybe, maybe, maybe who knows? Could be on our end, <laughs> but yeah, newer, newer places, newer things are going to have, some kinks to work out. So we'll get it down. Um, Other than that, it's good. I was telling, I was joking with the servers today at the server training. I said, we now as the deacons, we carry the, uh, the Easter candle in. That's like the only part that's different. Otherwise it's just a normal mass for the deacons. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the servers have so much more on Easter vigil because there's moving of stuff, moving of parts, getting stuff for the baptisms, getting stuff for the confirmations. We have the bells ring again. Uh, The candles have to be lit. So, Easter Vigil for servers is like the big one where things are way out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of have to, to practice and rehearse. But all of my out of the ordinary stuff is pretty much done. So That's great. I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling all right. Yeah, I have Easter Vigil down at our other parish tonight, St. Louis. Uh, we have zero baptisms or confirmations, so it'll be a pretty kind of simple, simpler liturgy. But it'll be beautiful. I'm actually really excited. This is the first time I've had... Easter Vigil all by myself. Are you guys doing all the readings or are you doing like every other? Um, we are doing every other. Okay. Do you just change that like every year you do every other? and then you... It's up to the presider, the homilist. <clears throat> um, how many can you, do you have to do? It's four? I think you only have to do three, three. and you have to do number three because that's the Exodus reading. Yeah. But the um, others you can choose? The others you can choose and then you obviously have to do, that's just the Old Testament readings because there's seven Old Testament readings and then there's the epistle and then the Alleluia, and then the Gospel. Okay. I have a confession. I didn't like the Easter Vigil very much as a kid because it was so long. <laughs> it was so long, and I we always went, almost always went. Um, I much preferred Christmas Mass, but I think that's because I was more excited about Christmas as a kid. Opening presents. Um, yep. But we always did, or almost always did the Midnight Mass, and I loved that. But I've definitely, over the last, I mean, even before seminary, but... As an adult, I very much appreciate the Easter Vigil. Yeah. And I think my favorite, I guess, just element of it is that we go through all of salvation history 
with the readings. You yeah. just is boom, 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 boom. The covenantal right. history, the fall, the redemption. And that's why that's the purpose of the yep. the seven readings as you go through all of all of history, right? So you start with Genesis one, the creation story of man, and then you end with uh, the dry bones um, or the new heart, Exodus thirty six and thirty seven. Uh, those are the, all the Old Testament uh, readings, and it kind of moves in that order of like you're created good, and this is myst- mystical. But then you, you're in Egypt, uh, and then you have to pass through the Red Sea and, and Moses and and those stories. And then it's like, but now we're in exile, and now we need good hope from the prophets. And so then we turn to the prophets for uh, the hope of of um, yeah the new spirit and life giving water from Isaiah, uh, and then. The glory is sung, and then, yep. it's, and then it's Easter. It's, it's a super, super powerful liturgy, especially if you just recognize the movements of it. And um, when you have baptisms, uh, especially baptisms, confirmations as well, but when you have the baptism, the full entrance into the church, um, having the whole salvation history story read before, and then I, I get to see it, um, or I guess hear it, and then the priest can preach on it, and kind of draw all the parallels and the the typology of the waters passed through and from sin to life, and you can just really dive into that, and it's so rich. Um, and obviously, that's why they designed it the way they did uh, for for coming into the church at uh-huh. Easter. But it's just it's very very beautiful. Um, one of my favorite Easter memories, well, <laughs> at Steubenville, I'll tell you, I've got two favorite Easter memories. The first one is Easter Vigil memory specific uh-huh. at Steubenville. Um, Franciscan University Steubenville, we always do the Easter Mass in the field house because the regular uh, chapel isn't big enough for the whole student body, and people come from the town, and it's like a huge, huge vigil. And But I was doing videography, uh, working for the school, public relations department, so I was filming the Easter Vigil Mass for kind of promo material uh, later, and I got to be kind of up in the media crow's nest in the back. And as the candles came into the center of the field house, and then the servers started spreading the candle lights out, and it just kind of like spread from the center. And we're in this massive gym. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's two, three basketball courts wide. <clears throat> and you just see the light spread from the center. It was just a super That's cool. profound kind of to be above it and see all the light spreading out in a in a radius, you know, in a mm-hmm. in a circle around and just getting bigger and bigger until the whole field house is lit. And you've got I don't know how many hundreds of people we had, probably close to a thousand in the field house. Um, and there's so much light that the field house is lit up without anything else. So that was a great memory. Yeah, that's super cool. No, it's always a powerful moment. Actually, that's something I wanted to talk about too. Is the the Easter candle? It's such a powerful image, um, right? Because the deacon takes the candle and processes in at the Easter vigil and chants the light of Christ, and we all respond, "Thanks be to God." But this is the first time, like the Easter glory is here, like the anticipation that Christ is resurrecting. He takes the he, he's the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. And so, when you walk through the church. In darkness, right, the Easter Vigil always starts at night uh, after sunset when it's or pretty dark out. Uh, the Easter fire's lit, the candle's lit, procession into the church, the light of Christ, and then you take that, as you're mentioning, Deacon Jake, and then it spreads throughout the whole church. And a church goes from being completely dark to then everyone who's baptized having a, a candle. And it, it actually, like, it gets pretty bright in there with all those flames. Yep. It's super powerful. So, Great. so, so you'll have two 
Easter's as a deacon. Yeah, this is my first, and then uh, next Easter will be a month before, a month or so before priestly ordination. So that's great. Pretty cool. I'll be an old pro by then, hopefully. And the this this is cool to think about too. The the chrism mass next year. Hopefully, you'll be able to deacon that. That will be your chrism oil that will be used yeah. at your ordination. That's, so yeah, I didn't even think of that. There's six of us, so we'll. We'll probably draw straws and then you could draw straws or you could take my approach and email hung fam early (laughs) enough and say, Hey, I really want to deacon, uh, the chrism mass. Is that possible? I thought it was uh, deacon Rooney. You could email him too. I think he's just like, no, you and you, I think, um, (laughs) they try to get one from, yeah, Redemptorist Mater Seminary, one from SJV just kind of works out. Um, but I specifically requested it. And part of my rationale is like, I've actually never deaconed for the archbishop at that point. Since when I got ordained in 2020, it was like two weeks later that COVID happened. Then we were all shut down and locked down. Uh, so I'd never had any opportunity to deacon for uh, Archbishop. And I said, hey, I, I would love to do this before I am ordained a priest. And they heard the cry of the poor. <laughs> um, as you said that, that was just kind of a weird realization of how much farther ahead in seminary you were than me. Hmm. So I just felt like, oh, this is my boy at the time, Sean, now Father Sean. And we just hung out. We rode bikes. We played basketball. Played pool. Played pool. Um, it's it's kind of like when I'm up on the altar with you. I'm like, oh, I'm not. I'm not that short. I'm basically the same. <laughs> it's the same height as Father Sean. It was like in seminary. It was like, oh, I'm basically at the same same place in seminary as Father Sean. But totally. the reality was, you were like way ahead, and you're not way, way ahead. and you're way taller. Not way ahead. But you said that you were ordained a deacon in. But you're taller in the spiritual life. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> Um, you were ordained in 2020 Correct. and I was finishing my second philosophy oh, that wow. year. Okay. So like it was, I mean, four years, be, three years behind, three and a half, four years. Um, just kind of, yeah, kind of crazy. Yep. Three years. Yeah. Your first assignment is typically three years. We'll see if I get moved next year, but if I do get moved, you could replace me here at, right here at Lords in St. Louis. Yeah. Archbishop just heard that and said, nope. Definitely not going to do that now. <laughs> okay, maybe we should edit that out. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, it's fine. No, uh, yeah, we're. I'm still waiting. We're we're going to find out uh, where we get assigned for next year as deacons at the end of the month or early May. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Oh, it's a big assignment too because you'll be there all summer and all school year on yep. the weekends, yep. uh, all the way until your priestly ordination. So that yeah, my my diaconal assignment was uh, Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Shout out to them uh, up in Welby, Colorado, which no one has ever heard of Welby, Colorado, but trust me, it exists. (laughs) And uh, a beautiful kind of country parish that's no longer in the country, but kind of feels a little bit like a country. There's a beautiful kind of cornfield and wheat field to the the, uh, east. Um, But I'll just say like that place will always have a special place in my heart because of you learn how to be a deacon there, but then you're also learning how to be a priest in many ways. Yeah. Uh, from the pastor, from uh, the people, you get to be there all weekend long, as opposed to just like a few hours on on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really beautiful and powerful assignment. It's amazing how much we just pick up being around people in general. Um, I think that's a parish community does that for you know it's it's RCIA members. Uh, parish culture has a you just kind of pick up things, but you pick up from priests and deacons around you kind of how they carry themselves, how they preach, how they totally. interact with people after mass. And I thought it was funny. I, Father Brian asked me, hey, what should I preach on on Sunday? And I gave him a stupid answer first because I knew it would annoy him. 
And then we sat down in the in the kind of the sitting area of the house, and I said, "This is what I would actually preach about." And we kind of talked a bit, and he's like, "Oh, that sounds like me. You're sounding like me." He said, "Learning from the master." But your homily on Good Friday um, was very similar to what I preached on on suffering at Tenebrae service the morning of Holy Thursday. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Shoot." We're just like, I guess we're hive mind or something. That's right. I'm picking up on you guys, and, and we're in the conversations with each other, so I think we we definitely draw off each other, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, Deacon, uh, what I think we should talk about today, because I know <clears throat> the last podcast, Father John and Father Mike talked a little bit about um, mm-hmm. kind of suffering Jesus and baby Jesus on the cross. I listened to part of it because I was hoping to talk about a little bit that today. So there might be some overlap, but... I just kind of want to reflect with you on the the Triduum, the beauty of the Triduum, uh, right? Holy Week ends Lent, kind of, kind of not, depending on how you look at it. More focused, more. It's a different thing, though. Correct. Yeah, Holy Week kind of zooms in on on Christ, and of course, walking with Him. Um, So maybe a little bit about Holy Thursday, a little bit about Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, and then I want to end with just kind of talking about the Easter season and kind of the joy that that entails. Sound good? Sounds good. You go. Great. So the Triduum, the Paschal Triduum, Paschal, right? Pascha or Pasch. Paschal is where we get the word Easter from. So this is kind of the Easter Triduum. Triduum, uh, tri, so three. So there's three kind of days to it, beginning with Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday was a very beautiful Mass that you... You deaconed, I celebrated, uh, Father Vitold preached, uh, but it was just really, really moving. And what hit me during that Mass is, uh, this is the first time I got to celebrate, so it was the first time I actually got to wash feet, which uh, was really beautiful. Uh, Father Vitold gave a beautiful reflection and homily about priests are called to serve, but typically who washes feet? It's actually slaves, uh, but yet it's actually now Jesus, who is the king, riding on a donkey into um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he proclaims he's the king, he proclaims he's the Messiah, but now he wants to wash his apostles' feet. It should actually be the opposite in a certain sense. So it's just really moving to hear that and then to think, I am a priest, and now I get to go wash the feet of these 12 people here. Um, this is the Last Supper. This is what we imitate as priests. And it was the reflection for me of just really powerful and beautifully thinking uh, this would have been what the last supper in many ways felt like is uh, right. And we, we had gone out to a meal before that we went to a nice restaurant. Uh, I had lamb shoulder, which was really good and tasty. Uh, what did you have again? I had the seared tuna salad, not tuna salad. It's not like tuna salad with a mayo. It was like a delicious <laughs> yeah. green a salad, salad with, tuna on with top. seared tuna on top. It was, it was totally. a little more upscale than a tuna salad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I hate that type of tuna, but that's a, yeah, that's a side. I loved what I had. I don't like canned tuna. Yeah. yeah. But what I've always found interesting is, because uh, this has always been a tradition that I try to do, is I go out for a nice meal to celebrate um, before Holy Thursday to celebrate above all the priesthood, one being a priest, but even in seminary, just like wanting to aspire towards that and, and striving, studying for that. Uh, you got some good meat in your belly. You got warm wine in your belly. You're a little tired. You're a little stuffed. But that's, I think that's what the way that the Last Supper would have felt like, dining yeah. for hours with Jesus. And one of the really cool things with this is most pre-seminaries, we kind of, we're all 
doing the liturgies together. And so we're generally living life together for these days in a more concentrated way, communal way. Um, a lot of priests will can celebrate your, your pastor, your parochial vicars will can celebrate. So that dinner, which is kind of a tradition for a lot of priests is really a time where they get together with other priests, which doesn't always happen. I mean, you, you're so focused with your ministries that, uh, you don't always get the, the friendship relationship with the brother priest. And so this is a night specifically for that. And then to have kind of a dinner and just share the time together and then to go into this liturgy, which is commemorating that is, mm-hmm. is very special. Absolutely. But I've always wondered, like, why Peter, James, and John could not stay awake with Jesus in the garden. And I think it's partly because, <laughs> the wine like, they and just, the meat right. and the lamb and the bread. <laughs> they just had a big meal. And so, uh, right, we ate around three or four, whatever time we ate. And then uh, Mass of the Lord's Supper was at 7 p.m. And um, certainly I wasn't like, you know, by that time I had digested. But there was still like this, you're, you're happy. You're like, you're satisfied. It's the Last Supper. But then after the mass, you know, you do the little procession and then you go to the altar of repose. Now you're with Jesus in in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and you have to stay and watch and wait. Stay awake with me just one hour. I was falling asleep in the pew when I went back over. I went over about 1030 and I stayed about 40 minutes. I was struggling. Yeah. (laughs) I was with Peter. I hear you. I, uh, yeah, I must have been given a lot of grace, but because I didn't fall asleep this year. However, uh, the next morning I slept in longer than I have in a long time on Good Friday, which which was nice. But I uh, I went to a different parish to keep vigil, keep watch, and I read John thirteen through I think nineteen right up until mm-hmm. uh, the Easter resurrection, and just prayed with it. Right again, this is the priesthood. John thirteen through uh, seventeen, uh, the Last Supper discourse, Jesus addressing the disciples and it's the last thing that's why it's so powerful it's the last thing that he said to his apostles Uh, what does he want to encourage them with before he goes and dies and then uh, chapters uh, 18 and 19 are all about uh, the that's the passion that's what we read on good friday Mm -hmm. so i read that as well Um, and then of course you have so that's that's holy thursday that's the first part of uh, the paschal triduum and then we have good friday Good Friday, uh, the day that Jesus Christ died, right? A day, uh, one of two days in the church, we're expected to fast and uh, also abstain from meat, but it's a day of fasting. And there's no mass on that day. There's just the liturgy of the Lord's passion, the veneration of the cross, which was a very, very powerful uh, liturgy for us as well. I was, again, at Lord's. I preached, but I did not celebrate. Father Brian celebrated um, and meditating on the crucifixion. Uh, of course, many people typically watch The Passion of Christ, The Christ on that day, Mel Gibson's uh, movie, which is a powerful depiction. I haven't watched that in a while. I don't know necessarily why, um, but if it helps you enter into the suffering of Jesus, go ahead and watch it. You know, I think it's powerful. Um, but just to be able to be present uh, to the Lord. Someone once asked me, uh, what do you do on Holy Saturday, which is today? Uh, and I jokingly said, well, you should probably just lock yourself in the closet and sit in a dark room and just pretend like you're in the tomb dead with Jesus. <laughs> and then they did that. If only. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of a strange day, right? Good Friday and Holy Saturday are hard days. They're hard days to pray because, especially this time of year, I've always struggled because today's like a high of 60 degrees here in Denver. I'm like, I should be out running. I should be out on a bike ride. Which certainly, like, that's not bad. 
you should go and exercise, but it's just like, because we're beings of the resurrection, even though today is Holy Saturday, the resurrection hasn't happened, but it has obviously. So it's just kind of this weird tension of like, how do you live Good Friday and Holy Saturday? I think above all, you're attentive to to the cross. You're attentive, you pray the stations of the cross. You're with the sufferings of the Lord. Yeah. I think uh, Friday and Saturday are difficult for me just because I get a, I have a sense of, almost like a malaise or like a, like a tiredness. Um, it's not quite a sadness. Um, I probably should have more <laughs> sadness and, and sure. try and foster a sadness in, in meditation of the Lord's passion and, and suffering. Um, but with a, with a hope, I think of the resurrection and I, there's a, there's a tension to balance cause you don't want to sprint to Easter. You don't want to just be celebrating Easter already. You want to really feel the gravity of these days. But I do think in, in the posture of Mary, who pondering all things in her heart, um, recognizing all that Jesus has said and, and professed and proclaimed and believing more than any of the apostles uh, with, with, you know, near perfect faith. Mm. Um, or I don't, you could probably say perfect faith, but she, she's remembering the three days looking for Jesus uh, in Jerusalem. Mm. And then him saying, do you not know that I should be in my father's house? And then he went back home with them and grew in stature and wisdom. Yeah. Um, she would have been pondering this. She would have known. And she would know the prophecy of the, I will, you will only receive the, the sign of Jonah. So Mary's sitting there like, he's coming. He's good. Mm-hmm. He's got this. So she was, I think, a lot less distressed. Um, I think there, I, I heard a homily kind of reflecting on Mary at the foot of the cross, that she stood at the foot of the cross. Um, that there's there's a sadness, there's a heartbreak. The Pieta is one of the most beautiful depictions. Her holding the dead body of her son, um, beautiful depiction. But there's also a strength in her suffering with Christ, knowing what he's doing, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that because at, at um, the wedding feast, Jesus looks at her and says, "My time has not yet come," and she says, just turns around to the servant and says, "Do whatever, do whatever he tells you." Mm-hmm. Basically saying like. You're good. I'm good. I'm with you. Do your thing. And then tells everybody, do whatever he says, which is another great connection back to Holy Thursday. Mary, I think it might be the last thing we hear her say in John. I might be mistaken about that, but she says, do whatever he says. And then in uh, the end of John at the Last Supper discourse, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Mm. So do whatever he says, do this in remembrance of me. And now that has the immediate connotation of the Eucharist. Of, of the priestly act um, of celebrating the Eucharistic feast. Um, but it also has the connotation of he's just had these dialogues of, you know, can you take this chalice? Will you take this chalice? Yes, you will. Um, so part of it too is, is follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, die for me, die with me, rise with me. Mm. So all of it, including the feet washing, including the Eucharistic feast, including the way to Calvary, He's saying, do this, do what I'm going to do and show you mm-hmm. in memory of me. And Mary had pointed to that. Um, so that's a tangent. But Mary, <laughs> Mary reflecting there, Saturday, Sunday, I think we can look and say, we know, we know the end. We know the end. We know mm-hmm. that Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of a Marian posture is this knowledge, but then also sitting in that space of Christ has died. He will rise. Um, and then yeah. wrestling with that, praying with that. Yeah, that's great. No, I like how you said suffering with, because... That's literally what compassion means, right? So Jesus goes through his passion, his suffering, and Mary 
uh, suffers with him through her own compassion for her son, which is really beautifully, uh, which is really beautiful to pray with and to think about. So <clears throat> you have Holy Thursday, you have the Last Supper. Jesus goes uh, into the garden, the agony in the garden. He's in prison all night. And then uh, the next day he wakes up or probably didn't sleep that night, I should say. Uh, but then he's put on trial. Um, then we have uh, the whole trial uh, with Pilate. And then he's um, scourged. He's put with a crown of thorns. He's hailed king of the Jews. He's mocked. Uh, and then he's given his cross and then begins the stations of the cross. So that's Holy Thursday. Good Friday, he's crucified. Um, and then uh, 3 p.m., traditionally, uh, the hour of mercy, he's taken down from the cross, uh, put in that new tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. He's laid there, and part of the reason why he's laid there and not uh, they don't do anything with his body yet is because uh, it's Passover, right? And so they could not be able to touch these these blood or, or dead things. They would have been uh, considered unclean. And so uh, being good Jews, they would have had to then go and, and cleanse themselves, wash themselves. What happens on Holy Saturday, Deacon Jake? What does Jesus do? From an ancient homily. <laughs> Is that what you're just pulling up now? No, I wasn't. Okay. I was actually pulling something else. Um, so on the Office of Reading for Holy Saturday comes from an ancient Christian homily, and it's the scouring of hell, right? That scouring? Correct. Yeah, not the scourging. The scouring of hell. And Jesus, he enters into hell, or Sheol, to free all of the just who have died before. Uh, all of he goes. There's a, a beautiful image of Adam uh, down waiting. He's he's waiting for the promised Savior, and so he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And then Jesus comes and is emptying hell, and Adam is saying, "That is him. That's him." Calls him out first, and mm. then Jesus. You know, many. I think in uh, Math, Matthew 27 it says, "Even many many were raised." And after Jesus' resurrection, we're seen in Jerusalem. Mm. Um, which I was talking to Father Brian about that, because that one was just like, what, is, that the, is that the resurrection at the end, or is this like some other type of resurrection? He said, it's more of a resurrection like Lazarus would have been. Mm. Um, so some came back to life as a sign of the king who has conquered death um, were raised. And then like Lazarus, they would have died again. And then we have the eschaton, the full resurrection of all before the final judgment. But would that be um, horrible to die once, but then have to die twice? <laughs> <laughs> well, the second time though, if, imagine this, you're dead and then Jesus comes and you're, you're raised. Like I struggle with faith at times, but I think at that point I'd probably be like, all right, I believe we're good. <laughs> I'm yeah, ready. I'm ready to die a second time. That wouldn't make like, it any easier Adam, though. Maybe. Um, so yes. Uh, and then um, the resurrection. Yeah, so Holy, Holy Saturday, right? So Jesus goes down into, into Sheol to preach to the souls of, of the dead, those who have died. Um, the gates of hell and the gates of heaven were not open yet. They're, those aren't open until Jesus rises. It's through his victory over the cross. Uh, a lot of Eastern icons, if you look at iconography, you'll actually see um, on Holy Saturday, uh, icons of the resurrection jesus breaking out of of the tomb but then he's reaching down to the souls specifically of adam and eve but the souls of those who are dead uh, to raise them into heaven so once jesus resurrects the the gates of heaven are open and also the gates of hell 
But Holy Saturday, what an interesting day. And what that conversation would have been like between the old Adam and the new Adam who is Jesus. Uh, finally, right? Oh, happy fault. Uh, forgive me for falling. Uh, oh, happy fault that brought about so great a redeemer. Jesus is here to rescue us. Yeah, the line, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but there's one. He has gone to search for our first parent as for a lost sheep. So you're getting the uh, the, lo- the good shepherd going to the lost sheep. So this whole image of um, Christ coming for the lost sheep is, is all of humanity, that he's mm-hmm. coming to save. And so he's going to search for the first man, first Adam, uh, greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. He has gone to free from sorrow, the captives, Adam and Eve, he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them, bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord be with you all, Christ answered him, and with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is so good. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> It's so powerful. Yeah, and so this, this homily is obviously a little bit of speculation, but like what, what would have that conversation been like? It's, it's really fascinating to, to pray with. So uh, good. So yeah, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, um, Christ descended to hell. This is why in the Apostles' Creed we say he descended into hell. Uh, and then we get to the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday. That's the Paschal Triduum. Uh, so now let's zoom in on Easter and the Easter season that we're about to enter into. Uh, Deacon Jacob, what marks, what what kind of feelings and, and what, what should mark the Easter season? Alleluia, alleluia. Uh, <laughs> That's right, alleluia is back. <laughs> alleluia is back. Joy, joy more than anything else. Awake, O sleeper, rise from, rise from the grave. Uh, be joyful, uh, a spirit of life, of growth. I think especially we get the, the Northern Hemisphere imagery of spring of the springtime the new yep. uh, the, the new creation has sprung um so yeah it's it's an anticipation a joy um a delight uh, yeah no that's that's great and i think uh the church recognizes this to the point where we celebrate easter for eight days straight as an octave right we view the octave as one day it is easter easter day right that you you pretty much have more or less the same prayers, a little bit of different readings, but for eight days straight. And on the eighth day, the octave day is now what John Paul II has named Divine Mercy Sunday to close out the octave. Uh, of course, there's an Easter season then. We have uh, 50 days of Easter. The 40th day is the Ascension. And then the 50th day is Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit uh, on the apostles. So it's powerful stuff. I think... Um, maybe two, two things from Easter day, and then, uh, we can probably wrap it up. How are we looking on time over there? Let me check. We are at 34 minutes. We have so much time. Oh, we're, never mind. We're then. moving this into a long form podcast. <laughs> Buckle up everybody. Uh, if you're driving, you probably want to put this at two times speed cause we're going for three hours. <laughs> Father Sean and I, three hour podcast. Here they come. This is like, we said that to make Father John cringe. If he ever even listens to ours. To cringe. No, we'll tr- we'll try and wrap up at about. Jordan a, Peterson about an hour. does long. Yeah. Or Joe Rogan as well. They do they do like six hour podcasts, don't they? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I don't have the endurance. So one thing I think is really interesting is uh, right. So John chapter twenty is when we get to uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, 
on the first day of the week. So this is where we traditionally get Sunday from. Sunday is now the first day of the week. It's it's the new creation. Jesus decides to raise him uh, to resurrect on the first day of the week, as opposed to the Sabbath day, uh, which uh, has always been Saturday, right? So he's yeah. he's dead uh, for three days. He rises on the third day and then uh, makes holy Sunday. It's the new day. What's interesting, though, is uh, when the disciples get to the tomb, they went in. I love this. This is John 20, verses 8. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. It's so Mm -hmm. fascinating for me to think, like, what did the apostles see and immediately believe? Like, there could have been thousands of explanations of, of... Maybe Jesus uh, just walked out or maybe the stone was rolled away and his body was taken. Like, why did he have to resurrect? What was it about the tomb that they saw? he had heard, they'd heard from Mary Magdalene, who was sent to tell my brothers Mm -hmm. uh, that I have risen. True. So, So, but, so, but they've heard, they've heard he's risen, but then they run to the tomb and they see something and now they believe. Correct. But what do they see? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I don't necessarily know either. The shroud of Turin. That, yeah, I mean, that's actually where I'm getting to, right? They saw the burial cloths. Yeah. But what about the burial cloths would have made them believe right away? I just think that's a really fascinating question to think about. And uh, I'm spitballing here. Go ahead. Uh, when Jesus tells Lazarus to rise and come out, he comes out and he's bound. Good. He's bound in his burial cloth. You're on the right track. And they have to untie him. But... His burial cloths are left, so correct. Did he was he able to untie himself? What happened? Right, and I think <laughs> no, he just resurrected through the burial cloths too. I think that's the exact answer. That at least that's this is my speculation, Pardon and me. Uh, I think a lot of this has to do. Man, with, the shroud of turn. If they see like the face <laughs> of Christ on the shroud, it's like I mean that's kind of it's cool. It's super cool, right? And today they've done a lot of studies on the shroud of turn, and uh, it's it's like. The only explanation that they can uh, make an, a replica of the Shroud of Turin is through like, uh, uh, what do you call that? Um, waves, uh, through like x-rays and gamma yeah. waves, whatever those are called. It's similar to... Um, radiation. Yeah, it's a radiation wave, but it's similar to what would happen in a nuclear explosion that the... Uh, the light. The light pouring through basically, it's like a, almost like a photocopier, but with radiation x-ray type stuff. Right. That imprinted on this fabric and it's in the it's in the fiber of the fabric it's not painted it's not they don't it's that's only explanation so there's think of this uh with creation what was the first thing that was created the heavens and the earth (laughs) i was thinking let there be light maybe that's not the first thing but i'm thinking let there be light right right (laughs) um and so there's and then there was light uh, but here in the new creation, to imagine like this just burst of light mm-hmm. of the new creation, the new Adam, the firstborn of the new creation is in this burst of light. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, it's super cool. Who but, is the light of the world? But And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness shall not overcome it, Father Sean. You're making really good connections right now, but we have to explain <laughs> these connections. Uh, so that people know what we're talking about. I'm just excited. I'm joyful. You are excited. It's good. It's it's almost Easter. All right. Please explain everything I just said. Oh, well, I just want to touch on that first part of like, they would have saw the burial clause there. And so to me, it's it's exactly right. Like, why did Jesus have to untie Lazarus? Lazarus? It's because you're buried and you're wrapped in such a way that would have made it impossible 
uh, to walk or to do anything. Je- uh, Jesus had to untie Lazarus before he could speak, before he could do anything. No one entered the tomb. The guard is there. The stone is rolled over. No one would have been able to move that, that stone. Uh, it would have taken multiple people. And so when Mary Magdalene comes, uh, and then of course the Peter and John the next day or the, the little bit afterwards, they come and they instantly believe because his burial cloths were sitting there. And I think they still would have been tied. So imagine like being wrapped in a blanket and then just like running through, like uh, disappearing like light through the blanket. The blanket is still going to be wrapped there on the bed or on the floor, wherever it is. And so the burial cloths, they saw that and believed. I just think that's such a really interesting detail about, about the resurrection account. Yeah. So that's one aspect. Uh, the other thing we need to talk about, this isn't a Bible study. Uh, I don't want to turn it into a Bible study. So, <laughs> um, But what I love about this is uh, Jesus first appears to um, you know, Mary Magdalene in the garden, um, but then who comes next? Peter and John. And it says they both ran, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, I just love that image. And there's a famous photo. I don't even know what it's called, but it's Peter and John running to the tomb. John's younger. Peter's old. Peter, John's the beloved disciple. He's young. He's always the good looking one, the beardless one, and all the pictures of, of the apostles, the last supper. Uh, he doesn't have a beard because he's young. He would have outran Peter. But yet, John still chose to wait to go into the tomb until Peter got there because he knew that Peter is the head, Peter is the shepherd, Peter is the pope, though the word pope wasn't uh, around yet. He would have respected the office of him being first amongst the apostles. He waited there. They were so excited uh, to come to the tomb. What do you mean his body has been taken? What do you mean, Mary Magdalene? What do you mean? Like, where is where have they taken our Lord? And they run with haste, with joy to see what's going on. Maybe not joy yet, but uh, maybe with even some concern of where, where is Jesus? And then they get there, they look in and they believe. Yeah. I got a question for you. Shoot. No, it's like, shoot. I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> you shoot. should be worried. Shoot. Don't, Don't get this one wrong. No. Think about it carefully. I'll pause for a second instead of so shooting arche- from the hip. Archaeology is is a newer science, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the questions that was asked through archaeology coming up and then in the 20th century of people trying to disprove the Bible, if they found some bones and then through DNA testing, they said this is Jesus's bones. If they found the bones of Jesus, would that affect your faith? Pause. <laughs> You said archaeology, and I started thinking about Indiana Jones. <laughs> Love it. Uh, no. Um, yeah, that affect my faith. Why? Because the Christian faith is based on Jesus rising from the dead and conquering death. Right. So if they were able to say, these are absolutely, definitively, Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet's bones, you're like, whoa, he was a liar. Yep. And the apostles have perpetuated a great fraud for 2,000 years, and the church is just a power-hungry institution that's, you know, keeping control of people through rules and moral teaching. and Yep. So I'd be like, yeah, maybe not. I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) Exactly. There was an interview on TV uh, with a bishop. Thank God I don't remember his name. Uh, Otherwise, 
I probably shouldn't say his name anyways, but in the interview, like the CNN or Fox News, whatever it was, the reporter asked him if they found, if we found the bones of Jesus, would that affect your faith? And this bishop said, no, of course not. I will always believe in Christ. And I don't know like if he got that wrong on purpose um, or if it was just like he actually knew the answer, but he was just caught off guard. I, I really don't know. But everything in our faith resides on the fact that Christ rose from the dead, body and soul. His body no longer dwells on this earth. It resurrected and then it walked for 40 days until he ascended into heaven, body and soul. This is so important. And this is why St. Paul writes, if Christ has not or did not, was not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Everything hinges on the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. If Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith does not make sense. And it's a bold claim, but it has to be the case that God rose from the dead. That's where our faith lies. And that's why Easter Sunday is so important. That's why Easter season is so important is because because Christ was raised from the dead, it affects everything. It changes everything. It's the, the central claim of the Christian faith. If he did not rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. Amen. Amen. I'm still thinking about Indiana Jones. <clears throat> and now I'm thinking of the... Uh, the the snakes the, the holy grail and <laughs> and then like the nuclear explosion that happens when they they open the the nazis open the uh the ark no that's the ark that's the ark of the <laughs> sorry i saw and i saw an advertisement for the new indiana jones movie and i thought why are they making this but now i can't get it out of my head so i'm sorry <laughs> archaeology got me there but you don't have yes, to apologize to me um you're absolutely right uh yeah if there's not Paul says it. Paul says it from the first century of Christianity. Right. If Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is in vain. Um, it's often explained now as uh, Christ would be a, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, mm-hmm. that he can't just be a good man. He can't just be a good prophet. Because he, if he's a Jewish rabbi who's proclaiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, he's not a good man. Yeah. So he can't just be a good man. Um, or he really thinks it's true and it's not, then he's crazy. So why would you follow him? Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a couple, I've met a couple, uh, second comings of Christ's downtown, uh, walking on the streets and I'm the Messiah. I'm like, yep. I hope that's not true. Cause I'm not <laughs> believing you. Um, but if, if he, if he was crazy, he's not worth following. Uh, he, and his word doesn't have, have grounding. Mm-hmm. But if he is Lord, then it's worth giving our lives entirely for. That's right. Um, and, and that's why Easter is the holiest of days for the church, mm-hmm. the holiest days in the world. It's why we have a new day of the new creation. It's why Sunday is what's celebrated. Right. Um, I think man would have been created on, on what would have been Friday. Saturday is the day of rest, the Sabbath. And then Christ recreates with his death on Friday that the old man dies and rises again on Sunday, the new man, the new creation, mm-hmm. the eternal. It's the seventh day, but it's also the eighth day, the eternal day, the eternal Sabbath. Right. Yeah, Adam and Eve would have been created on Friday. That's right, if you count the days, uh, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> one closing thought. Sorry for clearing my throat in the mic. No, we got. it's only 47 minutes in. You've got like three, four, <laughs> five, six more closing thoughts, man. Um, we had a really interesting walk-in on Holy Thursday of all days, right before... We went out to lunch. This guy walked in. He's a, 
a student at Denver University. That's all I'm going to give because I don't need people trying to figure this out. I did tell him to listen to our podcast. <laughs> I gave him a sticker. We'll see Shout if he does. Shout out to this guy. Um, but it's a really interesting story. He uh, was having some troubles with... Um, how do I phrase this without... Well, I think it's fine to say. He, uh, his girlfriend is Catholic. He's uh, completely irreligious. Um, he doesn't think... He just kind of thinks it's it's hogwash from from what he was saying. Like, why believe in any of this? But his girlfriend said, I don't want to date you if, one, you're not um, Catholic, but especially if you're not even Christian. And so he happens to uh, stumble upon, you know, Google and search Catholic churches and walks into Lourdes and he's wandering around. And this is Holy Thursday. The fact that I was even in the office when I was, and I was the only priest there <clears throat> at this time, uh, was just kind of, I mean, maybe miraculous. I don't know if I should use that word, but it was uh, definitely providential. So he walks in and he's talking to our uh, front desk lady as well as uh, our assistant. And he's just like, I just need to talk to a priest. I just have some questions about the faith and trying to figure this all out. And um, his main question was just like, why am I here? Why, why am I here? Like, I don't know what led me here. I don't know if this is like God trying to speak to me or what's going on, but like what led me here? So eventually I sat down with him in my office for, I don't know, 20 minutes. I, I had to run, unfortunately, but it just, it led to a really interesting conversation. And what was hard about it is he had some like really basic questions and I just felt like my tongue was tied and I wasn't able to answer it. He was just like, why do you believe in the Christian faith? And it's like, how do you explain that in two minutes? Like, why do I believe in the Christian faith? Um, and so we're talking and talking and he's asking some really good questions and he's just like, do you believe all this? Like, do you believe everything in the word of God? And I said, yes, but not necessarily in like um, a literal sense, you know, yeah. like the, the don't literalize the poetry of the Bible. Don't there's, there's analogy, there's symbol and everything that's written in the Bible in the history of the Israelites is not, worthy of following mm-hmm. a lot of the story is them doing terrible things just because it's written <laughs> right isn't doesn't mean it's like these are all good so you can really misread scripture out of context so you have to really enter into the whole totality of scripture in the story right um, but we do believe that it is the word of god speaking to us that's right um and, yeah and so i explained that to him the different genres and <clears throat> we read it according to its literature the the literature genre of that whether it's uh Right. Well, I don't need to get into this. But anyways, <laughs> we had a great conversation. But here's what I left him with. I said, I don't know why you're here, but I think God is tugging on your heart in certain ways. But then I said, what I want to leave you with is the Christian claim says something and demands something. But isn't it interesting how the Christian claim has changed the course of all of history? The fact that all of time is centered around Christ. Yeah. Before Christ to Anno Domini or Anno Domini, <laughs> if in the year of our Lord. And now um, liberals or whatever you want to call them. I'd, I'd call them modernists. Modernists atheists. are trying to take over that claim and say, well, it's BCE or before Common Era to Common Era, which I still think is dumb because what, what is it centered around? What defines the Common Era? Right. Christ. It's, it's Christ. Zero... AD Christ is born 33 AD he's crucified what is it that happens in 0 AD that changes everything it's Christ Christ 
The Christian claim is that Christ changes everything. And what changes it? It's his resurrection. The fact that death does not define him is the fact that he resurrects from the dead. Um, you could also talk about, and I did a little bit, I was just like, I'm trying not to say his name. I've almost said his name like three Whoop. times now. Um, how he, how God, um, how all Western civilization is based on Christianity. Uh, if yep. it weren't for... Western civilization and every our, our entire scientific and... Um, education system is based on Christianity and we, we have a Western patrimony that goes back to the Greeks and the way that we study philosophy and do biology and things like that. But like Christ coming into the world um, and a Christian Judeo Christian mm-hmm. with a creator God who is not creation and then a creation which can be known that is intelligible, that points back to him, that points back to truth, that reveals truth, is a radically Christian claim, Christian Judeo-Christian claim, where you can study the world because it's not divine itself. So pantheists wouldn't like, uh, you know, the destruction of God in in tearing apart cells, trying to discover how the world works. But we know that it's creation, and so in studying creation, which is doing the sciences, we can know about God, Mm. who created it, but there's a radical distinction there. So even the things that we base our contemporary society on, uh, most people have a, a kind of a blind faith in progress of science, um, that we're going to have some sort of technological revolution that allows us to live longer and be smarter and whatever it may be. Um, we have this kind of blind faith in technology, but technology even in the way that we've mastered the world is because of a scientific ethos that is based on Christian understanding of creation and creator. Yep. So, so that's a tangent. I ripped that from Bishop Barron, so you can go hear him explain it better. But, but that's but that is absolutely right. And so, um, my closing thought. I know I've said that like six dozen times now, but my closing thought for today is just uh, the Christian claim that Christ has resurrected, destroyed death through His death. Uh, rose from the dead, rose from the dead, uh, gives us life. All those facts uh, creates a, um, how would we phrase this? Creates a claim in the, in the world that everything is based off of. Uh, if Christ had not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. Everything flows from that. And so this is the joy of the Easter season. This is the joy that hopefully you're living right now. Uh, without Christ, we are nothing. Without Christ, we are dead. He uh, has his hand all over this world in his providence, and he's continuing to guide us ever closer to him. I love providence. Um, I love grace. Grace is always working. We have sacramental grace. We have the salvific grace that comes through baptism this Easter. Um, we have the grace of confirmation with the Holy Spirit coming down. Um, it's confirmation season, you know. So there's all this grace happening sacramentally, but somebody recently told me or was describing grace, uh, the distinction between actual and sanctifying grace. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a certain sense, the Eastern Church kind of, they just kind of say, well, it's just all grace. And you're like, okay, yeah. So we dis- distinguish it for sure. But in a real way, actual grace is like the air we breathe because God is creating and sustaining and working all things for our good if we will respond. Mm. And so he's always drawing us in some way. There's something, there's a tug, a little twitch of the, the thread that draws you back, you know. I can't yeah. remember who, who is that. Bride said revisited. Yeah, Bride said. Evelyn Waugh. 
um, that God will let you wander as far to the ends of the world as you can, but he can draw you back with one twitch of the thread Mm. that pulls you back. And so um, grace is working. And so when you said providence, that's what we mean by providence. God's providence is he is the Lord of the universe and and he is working in our lives. Uh, will we but listen? Mm. Because here, the story of this this young man. Um, I'm assuming he's young, but maybe not. Um, to be to be drawn to the doors of the church in a way, he's like, I don't even know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. God's providence, grace is working. There's a, there's a stirring that moves his feet. Um, God is the first cause, the principal cause. He is the first act that moves all things, and we are secondary acts. Even in our own autonomy and freedom, we're secondary to God's work creating, sustaining, and moving us. Amen. Well, uh, I want to close with... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I told you. I told you it was going to be four or five final thoughts. Um, The prayer that we'll say tonight, that I'll say tonight at the Easter Vigil with the candle... And uh, as I say this prayer, I take a, a stylus is what it's called and trace the cross, the alpha, the omega and the year into, into the Paschal candle. So this is what I'll say. <clears throat> and this is, I think, just kind of sums everything up really well. Christ yesterday and today, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, all time belongs to him and all the ages to him be glory and power through every age and forever. Amen. By his holy and glorious wounds, may Christ the Lord guard us and protect us. Amen. Amen. And that makes me think of another thing where I'm going to go on a five minute. No, I'm just kidding. I'm done. I'm done. This was a good one. I hope all of you are very joyful. I hope my excitement is coming through the microphone. Um, <laughs> me too. I will say like the last four podcasts we recorded have all been about liturgical season. So hopefully we come up with something. We new are eventually. now the liturgy guys. <laughs> um, uh, the last four we've, we've recorded, but I, I did some other ones with other guys differently. Oh, right. Yeah. But I just mean you and me. Yeah. Cause like we did, uh, Gaudete Sunday, then Lorette Sunday, Lorette, Gaudete, Gatari, Gatari, Latari. Uh, and now we're doing the Paschal Triduum. Yeah, but it's good, right? I think we should live liturgically. In that well, it's sense. what's on our mind. It's what we're thinking about and preaching about. So it comes to the comes to the microphone. The forefront. Father Sean told me I could work on my uh, changing my tone <laughs> while I preach. I was a little monotone. I was preaching at Lords. I was a little monotone, and I said, "Yep, I do that." Especially when I'm thinking through something, I get into this very level. And I used to think I was so animated. <laughs> And then I heard myself on the microphone for the first time years ago, 15 years ago. I was like, man, I'm pretty flat. Phlegmatics unite. Flat affect. So I was trying really hard to show my excitement. I wasn't actually trying that hard. I was actually excited because we're talking about Easter. Authenticity. And we're excited. This is authentic conversation, (laughs) Father Sean. I hope people are laughing and they're going to go celebrate because you got, I don't know how many days into Easter are we when we listen to this? Five. Uh, you've got another Thursday. 45 days to celebrate people <laughs> and then celebrate Pentecost. That's right. <laughs> Pentecost. We should bring back the Pentecost vigil, but yeah, well, we'll, we'll cycle back to Pentecost the next time we record. Uh, it'll be about the time for Pentecost. So <laughs> we'll do, a, we'll do a Pentecost uh, podcast and then, uh, then we'll do something on ordinary time. Deal. <laughs> 
all about the liturgical season. Uh, Deacon Jake, do you have any shout outs? Oh, I'd have to think of one uh, off the top of my head. All right, I'll go first. Yeah. Unless you want to go I'll first. Go. I'd like to give a shout out to KJ Barry. Dang it. He, uh, he said, are we going to give that one? I was going to do some of the servers. But Shoot. Well, he's in my discipleship group. I lead a discipleship group of high schoolers. He, uh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, he specifically asked for a shout out. So I told him I'd give him a shout out. Uh, his name is Kiri John. Kiri John Barry. Uh, he's a scholar. He asks really good questions. He's one of our best servers. He's one of the MCs. And I really hope he becomes a priest. Shout out to KJ Barry. Okay, so KJ, I'm going to do an anti-shout-out where I <laughs> counteract the shout-out that Father Sean just gave you, so you're still at net zero, and we're going to have to give you an authentic one two weeks from now where you don't ask for it. That's right. That's not true at all. Uh, KJ, Carl, Jack, um, all the servers that we've been working with, they're awesome, so definitely shout them out. Sorry, I didn't name all of you. We have like 30 here at Lord's. Um, shouting those guys out, and then I had another one, but then I was making the, the KJ joke, and I... <laughs> oh, my brother-in-law, Cody. Uh, he's Cody a, Krieger. He's a teacher at Matchbuff High School. Allegedly. And I went in to uh, assist at the mass, the all-school mass, uh, last Wednesday, and went into his class afterwards and hung out with some of the guys, which included Carl. Uh, one of our servers was in his chemistry class. So I got to hang out with the class. He's, he's a pretty good teacher. Um, really got the kids, the kids going. And uh, I dropped the the bomb on the room as I was leaving. I was like, "Oh, guess what, guys? Also, we're brother. We're, he's my brother-in-law. He married my sister." And then I was like, out the door, and they're like, "You're just gonna drop that and go?" And I was like, "Yep, he can deal with it." Brilliant, brother. <laughs> so those are my shout-outs. Great. I guess I shout out my sister too. That's it. <laughs> Do you want to say her name or anything? Leah, Leah Krieger. Leah Leah Machado. <laughs> Leah Krieger Machado Machado Krieger. And Cody Krieger Machado. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Please uh, tweet us, tag us, whatever is cool these days. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Peace and blessings. Happy Easter. Mm-hmm.